0: Hi folks, Tris here, and welcome to the second season of Modem Prometheus. Thank you for waiting, we have a whole new collection of stories for you. If you'd like to help out, head over to patreon.com forward slash Prometheus. Members get behind the scenes notes, early access, bonus episodes, and a lot more exciting stuff. There has always been more to this city than the back roads, the crown and anchor, and Modem Prometheus tapping away in her tower. In this season, we're going to explore some of these other areas hunting the weird and the wild, the gods and the ghosts. But don't worry, we'll stop in with Precious for a pint or two on the way. Today's story, which comes with a trigger warning for infanticide, is called 1.47am, and is about the things we do for love.
1: Let's get one thing straight. James isn't going to sleep with this girl. She is definitely hot, no doubt about that. And definitely his type. But still, he is 44. She, according to her bio is 22. He had been absurdly flattered when she matched him, but he drew the line when the age gap itself was legal. So why was he still messaging her at 17 minutes to midnight? Because it stroked his ego, because the neighbor's new baby had been screaming all day and was still going because she reminded him of Susan. It wasn't that much of a resemblance. Most of her face was hidden under a witch's tangle of hair, but the smile was very Susan-esque. And the hair itself. The colour was more like his dark brown, but Susan always used to have a very similar mess. You wouldn't mistake her for Susan, even ignoring the fact she was 20 years younger, but you wouldn't be surprised if you were told they were related. The baby was still screaming. They must just tune it out. His phone buzzes. Still up? Guess why? Aw, poor thing. Poor me. Stuck out tongue emoji. Not a kid's kind of guy. He starts typing that he used to have one, but stops. That's not the kind of conversation to have with a Tinder match, even if she has been almost aggressively non-flirty. He had tried dropping in a couple of lines because he thought it would be expected, but the conversation just kept on sailing right past. Not a kept awake all night kind of guy. He's sent it before he realizes that even if your match is entirely refusing to flirt, that definitely isn't the kind of thing you want to say on a dating app. But she doesn't notice that either. I've got to run. Pleasant dreams. Eventually. Stuck out tongue emoji. He messages a good night and switches off his phone. As he puts it on the table, he feels something cold brush his hand. A draught? He gets up, closes the bedroom door, and turns out the light. After a while, he puts one pillow over his head to try and drown out the baby. It finally stops crying at 1.47am. James met Susan in a cocktail bar when they were both still young and pretty. Susan had been behind the bar. James had... Unfortunately, in retrospect, being on a date with someone else. He'd asked Susan what her favourite cocktail was, then drank them all night. Whenever he took another order, she'd say, Peachy Keen Jelly Bean, as if it was 1954 rather than 1994. One of the cocktails came with her phone number, which she delivered while staring James' date straight in the eye. James had brushed it off, never called his date again, and slept with Susan for the first time one week later. The days after that were still some of the happiest James could remember. He was working as an accountancy trainee, shifting numbers into rows and studying for his ACCA. She did a range of jobs while working out what she wanted to do with her life. Bartending, behind the counter at a florist, office temping. She liked the florist best, and started saving to open a shop of her own. They eventually moved in together, just a few months after meeting, into a one-bed flat with single glazing and damp in the bathroom, and they loved it. It was a very precious thing, a relationship which you think could last forever. Spoiler alert, it didn't. James wakes up to the feeling someone is watching him and the sound of the baby crying again. He blearily reaches for his phone and switches on to check messages. The girl hasn't sent him anything else. Something seems wrong, and it takes him a minute to realise what it is. His bedroom door is open. He gets up carefully. It could have just fallen open in the night. The latch doesn't always catch properly, but equally it could have been opened by someone. And they might still be here. Nothing else in the flat has been touched, but every clock is flashing at 1.47am. He looks towards his bedroom. It's empty. He shakes off the feeling that he was expecting to see someone in there. He meets Etta, his neighbour, as he leaves the flat, toast and marmalade still clenched between his teeth. She says hello as she hurries to work. He smiles, gestures to the toast and shrugs. He briefly considers asking about the baby, but decides against it. He doesn't need a confrontation this early in the morning. He gets to work still holding half a takeaway latte, logs in and checks his emails. An event reminder pops up in the bottom right corner of his screen. Of course. No wonder he's distracted. It's two days before the anniversary. James and Susan had two amazing months in that flat, and a less amazing third after Susan became ill. Fatigue became nausea, and the bug just wouldn't quit. The doctor told her, well, contraception isn't 100% effective. If you'd been watching her at that point, you could have picked the precise moment the bottom fell out of Susan's world. The doctor spotted her, enough to remind her obliquely that she did have options. James was less observant, greeting her news with, "'Oh my God, that's amazing!' and immediately wondering if they'd be able to partition off a bit of the living room, or if they'd maybe need to look for a two-bed, and how he probably wouldn't get paternity, but maybe he could defer his exams for a year so he could be around more, and, "'Are you okay? This is good, right? You're happy?' "'Yeah,' Susan said, pulling him into a hug and burying her head in his chest, the better to hide the weakness of her smile. "'Yeah.' "'Peachy keen, jelly bean.' They did get a two-bed. More like one bedroom and a cupboard, but there was enough room for a crib. The nausea stopped, eventually. And James was told he wouldn't get paternity, but could defer the exams a small mountain of tiny clothes and cuddly toys began to build up from relatives. Susan got over the initial shock, and if James noticed the way she would look at the sketch she had drawn of her florist shop, or leaf through her notebook of ideas without writing anything else in it, he didn't say anything. Emily was born three hours before sunrise on the 3rd of May, a precious little mess. The baby is still crying when he gets in. He pauses in front of Etta's door. Thinks about knocking, about asking her if she could maybe keep it quiet, but what do you say? I've noticed you've got a new baby. Congratulations. Is there anything I can do to help? Your baby seems agitated. I always found going for a walk with it helped when mine was... When mine was... Have you possibly considered some kind of gag? In the end, he says none of these things, doesn't even knock, just heads into his empty flat. He opens a bottle of wine and throws together some pasta, a bit of chorizo, some olives, a basic tomato sauce. Susan was never interested in cooking. It'd always be breaded chicken and potato waffles on her cooking nights. He wonders what she's doing now. It's been so long since he saw her. The TV is showing some reality show. An image of a child's room. Nothing much is happening. The remote's on the fritz and won't change the channel, so he switches it off at the wall. As he's eating, his bedroom door opens. He hears the chunk of the handle, sees it slowly swing inward. Someone's inside. Someone he thinks he knows. Susan? He blinks. Shakes his head and the dark-haired woman inside becomes his scrunched-up blanket, a plant on the shelf. He puts down his plate and edges towards his bedroom, stops, fetches a frying pan from the kitchen, goes back. In the glare of LED light, his bedroom looks as it always does. No one's here. His phone buzzes as he shuts the door. Hey you. It's the girl he's not going to sleep with. He looks at the door for a minute, waiting for it to move, but it stays firmly shut. With a distrustful glance backward, he returns to the sofa. He sends, ''Hey, up to anything?'' ''Quiet night in, can't do more than one night out a month these days, because I'm so old.'' There's a typing bubble that flickers on and off for a minute. ''Is it quiet?'' He grimaces and casts a glance towards Etta's wall. No, it's still going. Poor thing. Poor me. You just hate kids. Stuck out tongue emoji. I don't, he starts, then deletes the message. There's half a bottle of wine left. It must be hitting him harder than usual tonight. He's sober enough to realize he wouldn't even contemplate this next conversation if he wasn't a bit drunk. I don't hate kids. Just that one. Stuck out tongue emoji. Not even that one. I had one of my own once. No. Yeah. Long time ago now. What was she like? Beautiful. And loud. Just like this one. He stops typing, wondering whether he really wants to say the next part. But they're here now. He can either drive the conversation into the skid, or let it career uncontrolled into the truck. She died. There's a pause. He wonders if she's going to respond. Possibly best if she doesn't. But eventually his phone dings again. What happened? SIDS. There's another pause while, he assumes, the girl he isn't going to sleep with looks up what SIDS is. He discovered what it was about twenty years ago sudden infant death syndrome. He could still remember the feeling when the coroner gave the verdict. Sorry, he says, This got a bit heavy. It's okay. I'm glad you told me. It was a long time ago. What happened to the mother? We broke up, not long after. It was hard to stay together after that. Yeah, I can imagine. He looks at the bottle of wine for a bit longer before typing. I'm gonna have an early night. Hope I didn't bring you down too much. Nah, I'm peachy keen, Jellybean. He stares at the phone. His fingers feel like they've been plunged into snow. What? It means I'm fine. I thought you'd know it because it's from olden times. He isn't sure what to say to that. So settles on, Yeah. (laughs) Haha. She's not, he thinks. She's not Susan. Susan wouldn't hide like this. Not from him. And if she was trying to hide from him, she wouldn't have typed that. There's no way she wouldn't expect that to set alarm bells ringing. Still, he's become curious. He tries to find Susan on Facebook, searching her name, hunting through very old mutual friends. He finds the account he thinks is hers, but it's abandoned. The last post 12 years ago, the profile picture still empty. He puts her name into a Google search, into LinkedIn. He searches with the places she worked, with her hometown, and eventually finds her obituary. Ten years ago, tomorrow, feeling strangely hollow. He drops his phone onto the sofa and thinks about the woman he thought he saw in his room, hovering over his bed. He stares through the doorway, willing the apparition to appear again, but it remains empty. Eventually, nervously, he goes to bed. He does sleep, but wakes up gasping, trying to suck air, but it's like there's none in the room. He pushes himself upright, clawing at his chest, his throat, his face. But none of these are the problem. The problem is there's no air and his lungs are screaming, crying, burning. And he breathes. Great swells of air filling his body. And he only now notices the tears which have been streaming down his face. His door is open. It is 1.47 a.m. Is it weird to say that the howl that came out when Susan found Emily's still body, the sound of all the things that made her Susan being flayed away and let out in a scream that hung around like a flock of circling crows, is it weird to say that was unexpected? Because it was. Susan had never really taken to being a mother. I just... She'd said to James one night, as Emily slept fitfully in the small room, I just don't get it. Everyone tells me how happy I must be, so I say yes, but but I'm not. I don't want to feed her. I don't want to play with her. She's just a chub. Maybe it's just taking a bit more time, James said. I read it does, sometimes. I... I don't know. Susan rested her head on James's shoulder. I had a job. I had lots of jobs. They were all (laughs) more fun. So James went for walks with his daughter while she cried and he waved a rattle at her tiny grasping fingers and he blew raspberries to watch her smile and all the time he watched Susan get more and more withdrawn as if her own skin was tightening around her like a shriveling apple holding her back from all the things she used to love doing. Sometimes, he found her staring at Emily, while the child gurgled, or wailed, or slept, like she was trying to rub her out of the world. So maybe it wasn't so weird that he thought Susan might even be a little grateful for Emily's death. The thing Susan had never really wanted, and which had stolen her life was no longer there, but things are never that simple, and Susan screamed for so long you'd think no air was left in her. The Susan he'd met in that cocktail bar, he never really saw her again. He was the one who left a few months later. James takes the next day off. He slept badly, his body tight as a violin string, twitching and jerking at any tiny dream. Every single one was Susan's face. He dreamed he was in his flat, and whenever he turned around, there she'd be. He spends the day staring at the clocks, which flash once again at 1.47. He adjusts the time on one, moves to the next, but as soon as he's done, the first is flashing again. And through it all, Etta's baby cries. A piercing wail that seems to follow him from one room of the flat to the next. Eventually, when he can't stand it anymore, he goes to Etta's flat and bangs on the door. She opens it, clearly just in from work, suit jacket still on and high-heeled shoes only just kicked off. She smiles a hello. Hi, James says. I, look, I don't mean to be rude, but I just... Your baby. I wondered if there's any way you could... Hold up, hold up, I'm going to stop you there. Etta holds up a hand. I don't have a baby. No. no. No, I can hear it. It's right there, it's in that room. I think I'd know if I had a baby. Etta snaps. Her expression softens a bit. Mate, you're okay? I can't hear a thing. James can definitely hear it. A tiny, crying, screaming life. It's there and louder than ever. He looks at Etta's confused expression and says, No, not sure I am. Then staggers back to his flat. The TV is on, showing that same room, the crib in the corner. He goes to unplug it again and finds he never plugged it back in. Before he can process that, his phone vibrates. A message from the girl he's not going to sleep with. I looked at what Sid's is. He looks at the TV, looks at his phone, types, This isn't a good time. And he's going to ignore her, switch it off, but then she sends, That wasn't what did it. He looks at the screen, types, What? That wasn't it. It wasn't SIDS. You know it wasn't. So do I. I always knew. When he doesn't respond, another message pops up. Look at the screen. Recognise it. And he does, now. It's his old flat. The one he lived in over twenty years ago. The other thing he notices is the clock in the corner of the screen. It says 1.44am. Please don't, he sends. Look at it! I'm sorry. Susan, I'm so sorry. Susan? His phone almost shakes itself apart with fury. You think she's the one you need to apologize to? And the clock on the screen ticks to 1.47 a.m. And he sees himself walk into the room. He looks so young. And he's crying. He can't see that, but he remembers it. Remembers stifling the tears and trying not to make a sound that would wake up either of them. And he looks at the baby in the crib and just stands there looking for what feels like hours... Days, like the sun should have yo-yoed half a dozen times, but the clock doesn't change, it's still 1.47am, and then he reaches down, and he takes the pillow, and he covers her face, and he presses, trying to be gentle, but hard enough, hard enough. His phone buzzes again. Hi, Daddy. He doesn't type anything back. There's nothing to say. So instead, his phone rings, picks itself up, puts itself on speaker. Tell me why you did it. Was I loud? Was I inconvenient? Her voice is older than he expects. He thought it'd be a child, but of course it's not. She's 22 now. And at the very least, he owes her an answer. Yeah, you were. You were loud and inconvenient and I loved you. I really did. I doubt you'll believe that, but there it is. You did not I did, but I loved your mother too, and I thought you were killing her. Every day, another bit of her just vanished. I thought I had to choose, and I chose her. I'm sorry, but I chose her, and I'd do it again. There's silence on the line for a minute, and then erupts into screaming. James waits, letting her let it out, but the phone cuts out before it sounds like she's done. The TV switches itself off at the same time, and the baby stops crying, leaving him feeling strangely alone. He tries messaging her again, but it doesn't send. Unreachable number. He waits. Nothing comes. His phone remains silent. The TV is back to showing its usual channel. Eventually, he falls asleep on the sofa. He wakes up, as he now will on every night, at 1.47am with the feeling of being so very small, and of being watched by something so much larger, and being so utterly powerless over whatever it might do.
0: Modem Prometheus is written by Neil Merton. The voice of the city is Kate Angier, with music and production by me, Tris Oten. Check out my other show at lostterminal.com. It's got more science and less dread. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash prometheus for bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes content. If you're not ready for that kind of commitment, please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. Our next story will come with the Swift Moon on the 5th of May, and it is about what it means to be anchored. Something a Swift, of course, would never understand.